0: Welcome to Trailblazing Entrepreneurs, the new podcast series from Salesforce App Exchange. In this series, we chat to world-class entrepreneurs and founders and explore their journey, as well as share practical insights to build successful businesses. I'm your host, Sandra Rapinoe, director of the ISV business at Salesforce. And in today's episode, I'm joined by Julie Trail. Julie is a startup advisor and matchmaker, philanthropist and corporate innovator. Hi Julie, how are you?
1: Hi Sandra, thanks for having me. And hello from Sydney on the other side of the world.
0: Well, that's funny you talk about this because last time I spoke to you, you were on your balcony in Sydney. It was 20 degree heat. Well, that's 20 degree sort of Celsius, not Fahrenheit, otherwise it will be really, really cold. And you were cooking what sounded like a really delicious chicken dinner. So what's for dinner tonight, Julie?
1: I am making miso glazed cauliflower. Baked cauliflower. Wow. And tofu.
0: <laughs> Blimey. <laughs> that makes me sound like my, my dinner of far less elaborate. I'm the French one, but you know, that makes me really <laughs> jealous and I'm quite hungry. It's pretty early for us here in the UK today, but uh, I'll wait for that. So, so you've had a, an amazing career and I must say you had some of the most amazing titles I've ever seen. So, you were once vice president of all things fun and meaningful and rewarding. So, tell me more about this.
1: Yeah, it was a title that I, I wanted and I made up. Um, this was at Salesforce Foundation in the early days. When I first started, I was actually curriculum imagineer, technology inspirer, and volunteer energizer. So my team did all of the volunteer events. And it was funny because people would used to see me in the hallway and they would like shirk away and saying, oh my God, I got a volunteer. I need to go out and volunteer because the culture was to go out and volunteer. It was built in, as you know, the Ohana. And I was like, I am not the director of guilt. <laughs> and, and so I reflected back on that, and I realized when people did go out and volunteer for the new hire and part of the program, I reflected, people were excited, they loved it, they, were, they had fun, they had meaning. And I said, that's what I'm gonna have fun with my title. So I, since I was the one that made the business cards, I made all of these titles fit on the business cards. It was, it was really quite interesting because I redesigned my title to make it more fun. It was very conversational when I would meet people. But needless to say, the people who liked traditional things had very hard time putting me in a box. I
0: can't imagine that. You know,
1: as what my title should be.
0: Absolutely. I guess, what was the impact on, I mean, you talked about it a little bit now, what was the impact on individual and, and companies for that sort of focus on... Something meaningful and something rewarding beyond I guess the maybe where we is a traditional sort of bottom line driving revenue and hard result driven sort of culture.
1: Yeah, I think you know as early days Salesforce young companies and with the customers of, of Salesforce, the impact was You know, people enjoyed it. It was part of the culture. They're like, oh, that's a real job. It's a real meaningful, you know, you must really enjoy coming to work. And it was fun. And it it built up the culture, which was then replicated. It was part of the the culture, the values and replicated elsewhere because people wanted to try that. And I really wanted people to steal this title and use this title. How cool would it be is this is one of the pull downs on what's your title. And it was a, you know, it turns into a traditional title
0: you got me to think about what I'm going to remake my title today, I'll probably have to have a discussion with my boss, but we'll, we'll see what we uh, come up with today. So but you were also the chief human API at Telstra. So that's really intriguing as well. So what was your role there?
1: So my role at Telstra was actually uh, heading up the accelerator, so it was a corporate accelerator. And while I'm not a formal entrepreneur, I haven't started my own company, I have grown up with startups. So Salesforce in the day was startups, and I get to work with startups. So I guess what I called my superpower was connecting people, ecosystems, and resources um, where it was relevant. I, with all of these founders and startups in Australia, which was a little bit behind like, the whole Silicon Valley, I had that network that I could help the founders and the startups be successful through introductions.
0: That makes sense. And I think, you know, that leads us nicely into the the entrepreneur focus. So as you mentioned, you were a startup accelerator, either through an outreach program through Telstra or some of the fantastic work you're doing with uh, Wishio, with which we'll talk about in in a little bit. But So you've had a lot of exposure to a ton of people and a ton of businesses, as you mentioned. So what are the common themes that sort of keep on coming up in your conversations?
1: Well, I think now the echo chamber where I'm in, the themes that I'm, I'm seeing now are creating more balance on who is investing and the different experiences of the backgrounds of the people who are around the table. I'm, I'm shying away from the word diversity, but what I'm really meaning is there's a balance of difference of expertise, of background, of gender, of experience, and I think people are really trying to change a lot of that. You know, there's a lot of companies that are trying to put these vanity metrics out, like we're gonna hit X, Y, and Z numbers. But what really needs to happen is the mindset and the behavioral change. And there are what I'm seeing is a lot of investors like there's a few that I'll name is Operator Collective, Included VC, Eleanor Ventures and CEO are trying to change the way we invest through a different, not your old traditional system that's broken. And, you know, I'm also seeing there's many efforts in dismantling the structural racism in business and investing and lifting other companies up that are trying to change the world through a different lens.
0: And that's interesting because that's obviously um, one of the very topical topic, and, and it's a shame it's a topic. I think this should be, hopefully in my mind, that should be something that should be in the DNA of every company. But do you also come up with, I guess sitting on the other side of the table when you think about what entrepreneurs and startup founders come to you, do they all maybe also have some themes around, we've heard throughout the podcast series, a lot of themes around, idea creation, idea validation, help me get through funding, help me build a network? How do I validate my pricing? How do I know my price, my product is good? Do you get those kind of sort of constant flow of, of, of common questions or is that something different in Dananda?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, we definitely get that the fundraising, so the the appetite for risk is different down here, so there's that whole investment risk and thinking differently and thinking bigger is a challenge down here but all of the idea creation from the early startup, we need funding to start our idea and what stages the, the and funding should be at, but the biggest thing that I really think is most important is what do your customers need? Are you solving real problems for your customers are you talking with your customers are you making them wildly successful or are you just solving a problem that you have those have always been really interesting conversations is about the customer need the use the services that you're providing what's the answer to that you know go out go out and ask them have a conversation <laughs> test it out make your mvp throw the spaghetti you know wow. that's what we did very early is it working is it sticking and being open and delighted by potential pivots and those aha moments. So as entrepreneurs, you need to be really um, flexible and adaptable in where the market is going, what your customer needs, where the technology is, whether or not a pandemic is going to show up. So this idea creation is also one of the a very valuable skill and, and resources to be adaptable. I think that's you know, you have IQ of smarts and EQ, emotional quotient, and there's an AQ, adaptability quotient.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. You know, we've had, throughout this year, we've had some new acronyms and I've been trying to use them every day. And I kind of failed miserably, but I'm certainly making notes of all the new ones. So we talked about, you know, the, the themes. What would you say the common failures are, yeah. the common sort of pitfall that people go into?
1: Yeah, the big one that comes up is founder breakup. That's a big one. When you're starting a company and you're have, you you know, you're working and you're growing and things get hard and challenging, we've had one in particular, two very young startup founders that had a third founder that they brought on who was, was, was an older gentleman who's still working in corporate. And these young founders were moving at a very different pace and he wasn't really showing up and working with them. And in the accelerator, we had to coach them on how to have that breakup amicably, effectively, and not hurt the business so we did a lot of improv and role playing and that was that that playing part of where I try and instill in the founders is really important Um, long story short they are very successful they actually went through Y Combinator and they are now in the Bay Area so they had the hard conversation and they learned they learned from this it's interesting
0: because uh, if someone wasn't listening to a podcast, you could turn this into almost a relationship counseling, because we've talked about throughout the whole series, we've talked about matchmaking. We talk about sort of putting people together. You talk about breaking up. I mean, this this is awesome. But I think this is a real reflection of, I think, an emotional journey that sort of people go through the high and lows of entrepreneurship and how, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know if you agree, but it's all down to relationship, isn't it, in terms of how well you become and you connect, you know, with your founders and how well you work with them, because, you know, I think the problem you work on is very critical, as we talked about, but how you interact with others, I think it's, um, it's probably the key, I would say, for me, yeah. having many conversations with founders.
1: Yeah, and, and also making sure that you have a support system, whether it's other founders that are going through the same thing, because, you know, you talk about, your police officer, your judge, your therapist, your counselor. And I, as running accelerators and being in these networks and the human API part of it, there's massive value in making sure you're not in it alone. There's other people that are going through it. And having that, that network or the shoulders to, to lean on and to, to talk to is really important.
0: Do you also give advice people to build that network? You know, do, Or do people sort of traditionally know where to get that cancel, that shoulder to cry on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I will help connect people that I know have gone through similar things. I'm trying not to be the solver. I try and be a thinking partner with founders so they can come up with their own solutions. Kind of like Glenda the Goodwitch, <laughs> who, you know, Dorothy had the answer. She had the shoes with her all the time. All she had to do was click. So when I work with founders, founders usually have that answer. And I, I like to be that thinking partner or a mirror so they can come up with the solution on their own.
0: It's traditional at this time of the year, you know, we're starting to look at 2021 and all the various predictions. And I was reading an article last night about some wild and crazy predictions. So, but what, what, what kind of trend are you seeing now, you know, as, as we look into next year and maybe beyond?
1: The trends that I'm seeing are creating this more balanced decision makers it's a work in progress. It's a definitely work in progress. There's a lot of talk about this, um, whereas decision makers, investors are making the attempts to, to balance out who is in the room, who is speaking, who is listening, um, and the traditional systems that we're trying to disrupt and recreate, You know, dismantling the structural racism and inequities. People are really trying to step back and listen with the whole Black Lives Matter, what's been happening with that over the globe. I do believe people are starting to listen and and step away and realize it's not all a zero-sum game. If I step away and let this person up, it's not going to take me out of the game. I I think it's also my hope. So I'm living in this bubble that I really want to make sure that this is a trend.
0: Let's hope so. And I'm completely with you on this. You know, I think also hopefully the business also needs to reflect the diversity of the world we live in and i think it's uh, you know difficult to see how a series of unbalance but i think there's a collective awareness i also read a really interesting article about talking about trends uh, talk about sustainability and i think i read one of your blog was you know you like to hug wild life australian animals so obviously sustainability is a big thing would you say that's coming up in some of the ideas of business uh, coming up to say actually how can i sort of solve the world not only for A reflection of the world we live in in terms of diversity but also making good of the planet is that one of the common themes of new businesses
1: yeah so and that that's also something that i was infused with me through through salesforce so my work with ceo which is a fund for women entrepreneurs is we say we're investing in women that are working on the world's to-do list also known as the sustainable development goals. And they light me up, all of them, all 17 of them. I'm not an expert in any one, but I love working with women and companies that are addressing these as a whole, and I do believe I definitely know that I need to be working in both successful businesses that are doing well and doing good and solving those problems. The hugging of the animals, the wildfires, you know, I learned a lot about you know, what happened with the fires here last year and indigenous, the indigenous community and the indigenous people who were the custodians of the land who had been here for thousands upon thousands upon years. And so I chose to invest in organizations that were not only helping the fixing the land, but also working with women who were fire rangers and giving them jobs. And I do think that's an important way that we can be investing in Companies that are making the world a better place, that are making money and creating happiness, creating sustainability, creating healthy communities.
0: I know I think it's important and that's obviously uh a Salesforce thing, you know, obviously as a early Salesforce alumni, you know, you know, you would probably resonate with that. What was it like at the beginning of Salesforce as a as a startup? Take me back to the day where, you know, there was this video that we released, you know, when you had Mark and Parker and the dog um, uh, you know in the office in san francisco and what was it like was it really like
1: this it it was crazy so first of all some of that footage from the 20 year anniversary was footage i had i sent oh, them i still have yeah and this was footage on before the iphones and all of that so it was early days We it was a lot of spaghetti throwing so you know the concept of like we'll throw spaghetti see what sticks What's really interesting you know i was there when there were 115 employees and mark was one of these leaders this visionary leader like there was, he created a safe space to try anything. And when we started the foundation, there were four of us, two of us were teachers because Mark wanted to bridge the digital divide. And this was a time where m- myself and this other teacher were. we thought uh, youth voices were so important and everything that was going on, we needed to give them a platform. And again, it was before iPhones, before TikTok, before Facebook even. And we put together Youth Media Festival. It was, we actually created the first YouTube, I do believe, that what we, we put together a platform for videos. And we, we brought in kids from all over the world, from Israel, from the West Bank, from Japan, from Ireland, that all had these amazing stories. And it was great, and it was fun, and it was energizing, and we got employees to volunteer. But it was, we thought about it. What is Salesforce doing with youth media, with video stuff? And then what we saw was there were a lot of these wonderful, these salespeople that had partners and friends that were working in the nonprofit space and so in love with Salesforce. Like, oh my God, this is such a great tool for the nonprofit sector. And through that organic conversation and spaghetti throwing, that's how the foundation and the foundation was donating and discounting product to the nonprofit. So it was early days, it was fun. It was let's try anything. And it was a safe space to be really creative. And thankfully, I took that through my future careers, future jobs. But yeah, it was was crazy and fun and creative and safe.
0: No, I think uh, that's that's definitely, I, I can picture that video and I can imagine you in the background, but I think, you know, for me, that's always been fascinating. But the way you described the journey, was almost the many conversation I've had with founders where you know I kind of have like crazy ideas as for the spaghetti on the wall, see what sticks I'll fail, I'll come up, I'll try again I, I'll sort of look at my network I'll try to bring ideas together so that's kind of where and I could see your passion in this and that's kind of where I love to work with entrepreneurs, because that's that sort of creative side where, you know, there's no wrong answer, right? You know, the only things you want to try and, and see where it works.
1: Yeah. And and just the commitment of everyone there. We, as a, you have a leader like Mark, we're going to figure out where that hockey puck is going. And he brought people around on that journey. So having that visionary leader that, you know, let this create, have the safe space and, and drive and goals, it was all of the above. His also passion, he he's very authentic about this, the 1% model. So I helped design all of that because he felt, if we're doing it here, we got to let other companies do it. And if everyone does this, look at the world that we can live in.
0: Absolutely. That, uh, that is very inspirational. So talking about inspirational, what, what inspires you? was your inspiration?
1: Well, I mean, I've, I've said Mark because he's just this big, big thinker. Oh, but there's a lot. Look at the first one that just came to mind was Michelle Obama. You know, she's committed. She's I'm going to we're going to end this podcast. And I'm going to come back and be like, that's who I was thinking of. Just people that will step out and take a risk and believe in what they are doing and the impassionate, passionate leaders that are kind, that will champion and advocate for their team and have the real hard conversations I'm reading Kara Golden's book right now, Undaunted. She's the CEO and founder of Hint Water. And she had a lot of no's in her path and just kept going. But she also has this kindness that she's committed to, you know, the stories of being kind to your team and and making sure giving them a space to grow is really important Um, because you got to hire smarter people than yourself. And trust them to deliver. Yep.
0: That's the rule number one.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I could agree more. I could agree more. I mean, I've got a small team myself, but for me, that's, it's all about being authentic and being who you are. And I think empathy for me is really, really important because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're dealing with people. You know, as I said earlier, is that sort of, there is a business problem we're solving for, but actually your key assets are the people. And I think authentic and kind. I couldn't agree more with you, which then leads me nicely to Sheo and and, and some of the fantastic work you do, and especially around sort of funding, because, you know, when you speak to founders and entrepreneurs, funding is probably the number one topic, and you may disagree, but I think for me, that's what I've heard all along. I love the way that you're looking at funding differently when it comes to sort of the women entrepreneurs network you've built. Can you tell me more about sort of how this crowdfunding sourcing model sort of came about?
1: Yeah, well, um, to only 2% of VC capital goes to women led ventures. And so we want to change that whole model. And with money comes a lot of other tag alongs, if you will, you know, who's the investor is and what have you. What CEO's model is, is women investing in women and investing in each other, the investors are investing in each other. So for $1,100 or $90, $92 a month, goes into this pot, and the women that are contributing this funding are activators. They're not donors, they're not investors, because they're activating their capital, their buying power, and their network. So with this capital comes a whole network of 5,000 women around the globe. And in each country, they're in five countries, Canada, U.S., New Zealand, Australia, and the U.K., In each country, the women who are activators, they get to select where the money goes. And they'll select five ventures that are working on the world's to-do list that they believe in, that they wanna support. As an activator, you don't have to have an expertise in P&L reading. Who are the companies that you are going to support? And what happens is it's this beautiful network of women supporting women. So once the five ventures are selected, they go away on a retreat, they have a wonderful coach, and then they decide how this money is divided. And it can't be divided evenly, and it can't all go to one person. So what happens is they start collaborating and working together. And with this capital, and there's actually been some ventures who were selected, they're like, I don't even care about the money, I care about this network. Because we say that everything you need is right here in front of you. If you need to ask for help, you just put it out there and an activator, someone in that network will help you. And then also learning how to ask, which is very, very hard, comes a little bit easier. You start to practice that ask muscle, strengthening that ask muscle because people love to give, right? So people, if, if you're in a room and someone, you're more willing to give than to ask. But if, just remember, if you're not asking for what you need, you're depriving people of their joy of giving. So that's a, ref, a reframe on asking. So remember that next time you want to ask for something, people want to give.
0: That's brilliant. You know, it's so funny because, you know, it's always, as I said, you know, most people, if you ask them for advice, they happily give it to you, you know. It, it's kind of that free gift you talk about. You know, what really struck me when I was reading about it is that democratic element of selecting of funding and that creation of network and that creation of the ability to sort of create that. I said It's that common good, isn't it? That you sort of driving together. And and that was for me that was fascinating. And it's actually a shame that it's needed. That two percent sort of investment was also the, the depressing statistics that I was reading about it and um, that saddened me a little bit. I must say. Yeah. The
1: the other part of this is changing the system of winner. T- takes all. You know, even as an applicant through CEO, you get feedback from everyone that's looking at your application. I actually have reached out to many of the applicants who didn't make it and have established and helped them. So it's a great opportunity there. And then the other part of it, so with all this network, getting this connection of other people's, getting customers, the VC requirement is a little is not as required because you're getting customers and that's another way of capital getting the capital infusion
0: no that's fantastic and it It certainly hits a few buttons of network raising capital testing new ideas asking for things so it sounds like a it's like a mini business school in in a a fantastic uh, sort of network for doing good so tell me about baby shark tank i love that (laughs) tell me about that
1: So Baby Shark Tank is something that I came up with. I I used to be a classroom teacher, and I am still inspired by kids' questions and the growth mindset. So what we did, instead of having a Shark Tank with, or the Shark Tank of adult judges, I had my founders pitching to judges who were 6 to 12-year-olds. And so what that required the founders to do was to explain their company so a 6 to 12-year-old could understand it. So if you can't break it down to a six to 12 year old, there's there's a, there's a challenge there. And the other thing is, your six to 12 year olds, or however, you know, teenagers, are gonna ask very different questions than a traditional VC. So it really makes the founder think on their feet and you know, and how to respond to that. So it's a practice in marketing, it's a practice in messaging. And the aha moments from the founders they're just like, wow, I never thought of it that way. And then the kids also get this confidence in asking questions and giving feedback. So it's this win, win, win all around. Uh, Everyone has fun.
0: Listen, Julie, thank you so, so much for chatting with me today. And thank you for joining us for this uh, season finale. If you have any question or topic you want to hear more about, tweet us at App Exchange. I'll be back soon for some more insights from some founders. So make sure you subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Until then, goodbye.